This episode of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by CRE Launch Pro. This online commercial real estate program is designed to take you from beginner to pro commercial real estate investor with access to all of my courses, our online community, and monthly group coaching calls. Learn how to confidently buy your first commercial property today at www.crelaunchpro.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast, live from the Cobble Group Studios here in Nashville, back for another Office Hours episode. This is actually our last Office Hours of the year. If you have any questions about commercial real estate, that is what this is for. It is a an open forum for you to jump into the comment section and ask whatever questions you may have about commercial real estate and get some free one-on-one coaching. We won't be picking this back up until probably sometime around mid-January. I'm going to be taking a little bit of a sabbatical. Um, some of y'all may know that I do this every year. It is the best way for me to get recharged, focus on a couple of other things during that time, and uh, get ready for the new year. So let's see. Duke, Dukes is saying, good morning, Tyler and Cobbleites. Let's dominate. I love that. Cobbleites. been thinking about finding a nickname for the audience. Cobbleites it might be, but uh, y'all let me know. Let me know in the comments. Uh, really excited for some updates today before we kind of dive into uh, any questions you all may have. Had our first team sales meeting for the brokerage um, this past week. You know, that's that's one thing that I'm being very conscientious of moving into the new year is becoming a better manager. I have historically been the sales guy, the lead guy on all of these projects. And the only way that I can continue to scale my business is if I kind of take a step back empower my team and manage and coach them as they go out and handle everything. This past year has been the first year that I actually haven't done any brokerage deals. My team has handled 100% of that. It's been really awesome to see them step up, take everything on and watch their businesses grow as well. So part of that means that every Wednesday I'm having 30 minute one-to-ones with all of my brokers. So the meetings start at 8 a.m. They go until, I guess, around 10.30, and then we have a uh, a team meeting together. So I'm in meetings every Wednesday from you know 8 a.m. until probably 11.30 or noon. Uh, but it's good. It's fun to get those updates, fun to get to coach everybody and see the progress that everybody's making every week. Over the break, uh, some of y'all may know I've been working on a book on commercial real estate investing for the past couple of years. It has been a lot of work. Uh, a lot more work than my first book, which was just on leasing commercial real estate. That first book was a, I wanted it to be something that somebody could read in two or three hours that either wanted to learn the leasing process or was a small business owner. And then they would at least have an understanding of how the process worked so that they could hire the right people to make sure that they are on the right path. Commercial real estate investing, on the other hand, is a little more intense. There's a lot more that we've got to go through. So I've actually been working on this book for probably going on about three years now, wanting to make sure that it is the best book out there on commercial real estate investing. So hopefully over the break, over the next 30 days from December 15th to January 15th, I can pull enough of that together to start bringing in an editor and getting that book going. Started working on a companion book for it as well you know, ways to visualize commercial real estate investing. So really uh, looking forward to what we can do there. There's no other book out there like that. And uh, to me, that's there's a lot of opportunity there with a, a series potentially around that. So definitely stay tuned in the new year for uh, the new books. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that those are done in 2024. 
<clears throat> Y'all can hold me accountable for that because I have been saying that for a couple of years now that I would be done with this book. But it's uh, <laughs> writing is a lot more intense. It's funny. Like I, I, I have no problem writing, you know, one, 2,000 word blog post. But when it comes to a book, especially one that can be all as encompassing as commercial real estate investing, you know, it's it's not as easy as just sitting down and writing it. You got to really think through and plan. And I think my last book was around 20,000 words. So, you know, basically 20 blog posts worth of content. I have a feeling that this book on commercial real estate investing is going to be somewhere closer to 50 to 100,000 words just because of the amount of content that has to go into it. Also going to be working on some courses. Um, you know, we've got the beginner's guide to commercial real estate investing out there, but you know, I've gotten comments from you all that we, we would like to see a triple net investing course and um, some other courses like that. So we're we're actually working on outlining the course on investing in triple net properties right now, uh, based on the amount of feedback I've gotten from everybody on FlexSpace and the videos that we have been doing on FlexSpace. I would imagine we should probably put a course together on that. And doing a brokerage course as well, how to get started as a commercial real estate broker and all of the right things to do. One, because it'll help as I grow my commercial real estate brokerage team, it'll be something very you know hands-on that I can give to them. Uh, well, I guess hands-off that I can give to them that will train them through the ways that we like to approach brokerage. But then of course, we can give it out there to you know anybody that's interested in getting started as a commercial real estate broker because there's not a whole lot of educational opportunities out there. And I feel like uh, with as high of a barrier of entry as commercial real estate brokerage is, if somebody could take a course, learn how the process works, and then start applying to brokerages with that experience, that knowledge already in hand, it'll probably make your life a whole lot easier. So that is, uh, that's what we're going to be doing there. So I'll be working on that over the break as well. Dukes is saying, I did a multifamily training this weekend. Grant Cardone said, right now is the time to start to buy. I was under the impression that the commercial markets would be affected most by mid-2024. That's a good question. I mean, so one, you know, I always look at these and say, okay, what is Grant Cardone trying to sell? Um, you know, is he trying to get you to invest in some of his deals? You know, what what is his reasoning behind saying right now is the best time to buy? I don't agree with that on multifamily. I do not think that right now is the best time to buy. I think that cap rates have not gone up enough. I think that interest rates have not come down enough for the yield to make any sense. Y'all have heard me talk about multifamily before in this podcast, and I, I think that the opportunity is relatively tapped out because of what has been happening in the market over the last 10 years. Most of these properties have already been renovated. There's not a whole lot of additional value add to be had. We're at the most expensive that apartments have ever been. Um, and in both in terms of both you know, rental rates and pricing. So it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me right now. I think that I would wait. Again, that's not to say that there's not going to be an opportunity in the multifamily world in 2024. I think that there will be some distressed sellers. I think that there will be some opportunities that pop up that make a lot of sense. I think the market as a whole, though, is is very difficult to make any sense of. So yeah, Dukes is saying that's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, I, I would just hold off on multifamily. I'd wait until some deals start popping up. I wouldn't be buying multifamily right now unless I found something at an 8% or 9% cap rate. 
It just doesn't make sense to me. And I'm sure that there's other, you know, more sophisticated multifamily investors out there. I'm not the most sophisticated multifamily investor. I'm sure that there are some out there that say, you know, hey, once it hits 7%, we're buying everything. That's great. Uh, but to me, the the amount of work that goes into that type of project compared to the amount of returns that I have to get in order to justify spending my time on it, it's got to be an 8 or 9% return. I mean, that's why historically I have loved commercial real estate. There are not as many buyers in that market. There's not as many people that really understand it as well as uh, as well as the multifamily world. I mean, think about it. There, you know, every other episode on Bigger Pockets talks about multifamily. Every you know guru out there talks about multifamily. Most people, when they're wanting to get into the commercial side of things, they start in multifamily. So you just get you have so much competition, and there's not a lot in the commercial world. So it's very easy for us to find eight or nine percent cap rate deals that don't require a whole lot of effort uh, or a lot of capital. I mean, that's the nice thing about it, right? I mean, if you're buying a 150-unit apartment complex, you're probably spending 15, 20-plus million. I mean, depending on the condition, right? I mean, you could be go buy a, a hotel to convert into apartments and spend 8 or $9 million, or you could be buying, you know, the, the absolute high-end luxe property, new construction uh, in your market for, you know, probably $100 million. Um, but it, it, it just... The, the yields, uh, that's really what's important to me right now is the cash flow. How much cash flow are we getting on these deals compared to the amount of risk that we're taking? I don't see it in multifamily. I see it in commercial. You know, that's why I've been talking about this for several weeks now, industrial outdoor storage, flex space. I like a lot of these smaller commercial deals. We talked about this yesterday in our investors roundtable. Like, what are we looking for in 2024? For me, like what I would still be buying, smaller neighborhood commercial right? I got sent an opportunity yesterday that was $800,000 for a commercially zoned house in East Nashville. That's very interesting to me. I want to figure out how to pull that together because it's not going to take a whole lot of investor capital. We wouldn't need a whole lot of debt. And I know that there's a lot of businesses out there that would love to rent that. It's a relatively you know, teed up, single base hit project. Uh, I would also be looking for industrial outdoor storage or flex space. I think that you know, anything that is a covered land play, right? So a covered land play is a piece of land that cash flows, right? It basically covers the debt, covers, you know, hopefully all of your expenses and makes you some profit. And you can sit there, <clears throat> let the property appreciate in value and make plans for what it will become in the future. Hopefully everything else is building up and developing around it. There will eventually be a higher and better use. And then you can move on. That's like what we're doing at Madison Square. Right, that's a 32-acre project that we acquired in April of 2021. That we are master planning for about 1.5 million square feet of new space. So we're talking, you know, 1,100 apartment units, a few hundred thousand square feet of office space, and some ground floor retail. But it's a covered land play, right? We're not going to actually go in and develop the entire project ourselves. We're just master planning it, selling off phases to individual developers. And the 330,000 square foot shopping center that is there today, cash flows. So we're already returning, you know, uh, 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 already returning returns, I guess. I was trying to think of a different word to say that, uh, to our investors. Uh, they're getting quarterly distributions. But there's a higher and better use for the land that we're, you know, tapping into as we move through the project. 
So I love cover land plays. They're pretty great. JL is saying, let me hold three doll hairs. I agree. I could always use three more doll hairs. You never know what uh, what the market's going to bring. So you might as well take all that cash flow while you can. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, moving into 24, I'm, I'm relatively optimistic. It's, it's uh, interesting to see what's going on in the debt market. I mean, you know, I was talking with some de- developer friends about this uh, last week. And the, you know, the residential real estate mortgage market is actually coming down. I, I had a, a friend that got a mortgage last week for about 6.25%. Now, it's not dropping in the commercial world. Commercial real estate loans are typically tied to prime and prime is not moving. So commercial loans have not moved at all, but it is positive to see that residential mortgages are coming down. That's one of the reasons why we're looking at getting into developing more residential construction in 2024. I think that there is still a high demand for that. I think that mortgage rates, at least on the residential side, will come down a bit and there will be plenty of opportunity there for us to build houses, sell them off. Now, that's not to say that we're going to go out and build 100 homes next year. I just want to build one, two, three, four, right? You don't have to build too many. If you do them right, you can get hundred dollars to $150,000 margins on those assets. So it doesn't take a whole lot of new construction homes if you're doing it right to you know have a pretty good year. That's one thing that I don't really understand about the residential market. You've had a lot of contractors and developers that have gotten into that market that are overpaying for land and they're taking these low margins. And then because of that, they have to do even more projects just to make the same amount of money. I would rather bide my time, wait for the right deal to come across my desk and make more per deal, make more on the amount of effort and time that I'm investing into a project than to, you know, have to go out and do a whole bunch of these just to keep the wheel going. Now you do get, of course, um, you know, economies of scale when you're doing a lot of projects at once. But at the same time, I mean, you're having to hire a bunch of people, you're having to maintain, you know, subs more, you're having to deal with a lot of issues that come with that. And, you know, there's something to be said for just working on one or two projects at a time. So that's kind of how I'm feeling. Looking forward to um, the break here soon. It's going to be nice. We've got a lot of Preds games coming up in December. Uh, doing a little bit of traveling, going down to Texas. My my uh, dad's side of the family has a ranch uh, about an hour and a half west of Dallas. So going to get out there, spend some time working cattle, uh, which I grew up doing. So really excited to, to get out. I love working with my hands. It gives me a good opportunity to shut off my brain because that's pretty much all we do in commercial real estate is use our brain. So it's nice to kind of just shut that off and and uh, get physical with the work. And then uh, I just booked, uh, before we went live here, booked my flight and hotel to Vermont at the end of January, going to a mastermind up there and uh, going to be there for a few days working with some other business owners. Um, a lot of them are in real estate on planning for the year, what we're going to be doing. You know, y'all know I've already set my goals for 2024. I've already been working with the team, but I love surrounding myself with other people that are like-minded, that are hopefully, you know, better off than I am. I mean, that's the great thing about this mastermind that I'm in is that uh, and it's it's GoBundance for those of you who are familiar with that. It, it's that there's a lot of people in there that are so far beyond where I am that it's awesome to get to hear from them what they're planning on. You know, I was on a call yesterday 
with these brokerages that are doing $450 million a year. You know, we're, we're aiming to do 80 million next year. So hearing somebody do 450 million, I'm like, cool, I need to talk to this person and figure out exactly how they got to that point so that I can continue to grow my brokerage to that point. I think that the more that you surround yourself with people that are doing that stuff, the more likely it is to happen to you. So I love it. Let's see, Colin saying, thoughts on developing multifamily units that aren't one bedroom and two bedroom, larger units or micro. Colin, I, um, I'm not a big fan of larger units. Um, I've always enjoyed the micro side of things. I just think that there's so much more opportunity there. They lease up so fast. Larger units have not been as popular, especially since the advent of build to rent. Uh, because now if, if you're wanting to rent a three-bedroom apartment, you're competing with a three-bedroom house that's probably not going to be that much more expensive and people are probably going to choose a house any day. Micro units, on the other hand, I love them. I would choose micro units over your average size unit any day. We did a project, uh, worked on a project called Sohana um, here in Nashville, and it was a 126-unit motel to apartment conversion. These units were 216 square feet. I mean, to put that in perspective, that's like the size of the studio that I'm in. It's not that big, really, really small. And we signed 126 leases in six months. There's a lot of demand for that type of product, and it's inherently affordable, which is what I like about it. You don't have to worry about going through LITAC or dealing with any of the grants um, for your funding and your, your capital stack. You can do it at market rate. And, and make it make sense. So big fan of micro units. Anthony's saying, good morning, Tyler. Morning, Anthony. As a percentage of your sale price on a new construction home, how much should a developer pay for the dirt? Great question. So it's I use a five times lot cost. It's basically 20%, right, of your, your overall sales price. That should be your total price for the dirt and the horizontal. So the horizontal is your site work, right? Vertical is the actual construction of the home. So if you buy a lot for $50,000 and you have to put $50,000 of the work into it uh, to get your, your, your water, your sewer, utilities, whatever, you should be able to build a $500,000 home there. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, you could pay, you know, $50,000 for a lot, $50,000 for site work, but if all the comps in the neighborhood are 300 grand, it's probably not going to work, especially based on a price per square foot basis. Maybe you can build a bit bigger home, but there's there's a balance to to work out there. If the comps in the area, uh, typically what I'll go look at is is new construction sales comps. So if new construction is selling for 500,000, then I'll I'll go look for lots that are you know 50 to 100 thousand dollars, depending on how much site work they need. 50 thousand dollars a pad is a lot. For, for site work in some areas and, and in other areas, it's it's nothing. It's going to cost a lot more than that. So it all depends. Dukes is saying, what is the best way to find deals? CoStar is very expensive and LoopNet is basically uh, what real estate brokers or buyers don't want. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of CoStar. Um, we have not been members of CoStar or LoopNet since 2020. Um. You know, back then I had a I had a broker working for me that when the pandemic hit, decided to go back to school and become a coder. And I reached out to CoStar and I asked them, you know, if if we could terminate his membership since he was no longer with us. 
it had renewed for an annual membership the week before. So it wasn't like we'd been using it for this whole time. I thought since I had a good relationship with the local Nashville reps that they would be like, yeah, not a problem at all. You know, you can just add back to it whenever you get another broker on your team. No, they were adamant. They would not do anything at all. I renewed. It was, it, I didn't even renew. It was just an automatic renewal. Um, and they wouldn't work with me at all. And I was already on the, on the verge of getting rid of CoStar. The data wasn't always that great. Some of it's pretty good. Um, but I just, I didn't appreciate the way that they handled that. So I terminated everything. I mean, I sent them an email that day. I said, I know I've got a year left on everything, but go ahead and mark me down as terminating everything. We're done. We're never using this again. And we haven't used CoStar since 2020. And guess what? I've had some of my best years ever. So you don't need CoStar to find good deals. There's a couple of different ways. One, work with a broker. Brokers are doing all of the work um, that you would need to do. Two, build a mailing list and start hitting them with a mailer once a quarter. I typically recommend finding 600 properties that are the best 600 properties that if you bought any of them, it would work. Hit those 600 properties once a quarter. So four times a year. Uh, you could also cold call, stop in and knock on doors. Driving your market's pretty good. I mean, drive through and see, you know, what what's the older looking rundown building that's next to a bunch of new construction? You know, that person may be willing to sell. Um, it's it's kind of the same in residential. I mean, is, is the lawn being taken care of? Is the parking lot being maintained? If not, might be an out-of-state owner, and they may be willing to uh, to, you know, drop it and move on. So that's kind of how I find deals. Also, just using your network. I mean, I, I tell people on the podcast all the time, you know, hey, if you find anything in East Nashville, you find uh, any really compelling deal uh, in the area, give me a call. I would love to take a look at it. Um, I've actually found quite a few deals just by posting on Instagram, just by talking about it here on the podcast, on the YouTube channel. Uh, it works out really well. And uh, you've got a soapbox. You've got a whole lot of people that can hear from you on a daily basis. Take advantage of that. Elijah, hey, Tyler, best advice for getting into flex properties, warehouses, 10,000 to 20,000 square feet with no money. Uh, Elijah, first thing I would do is learn everything that you can about flex space. So that could be from, you know, watching YouTube videos, listening to podcasts, taking brokers out for lunch, uh, talking to developers, talking to contractors, talking to engineers, learn everything that you can about flex space. Network as much as you can within the industry and find somebody that is actively buying 10 to 20,000 square foot flex space warehouses. Figure out what their deal criteria is and go out and find them a deal. That's hands down the best way to get into it if you have no money. Um, you know, I would work something out with them on the front end, like, hey, if I find you a good enough deal, will you bring me in for five or 10% of the, of the property? I'll sign, you know, my pro rata share of the debt but I don't have any money to put into it. But here's what I will do. I'll go out and I'll find the deal. I'll do all the work to pull it together. I'll make your life a lot easier and I can run the asset on a day-to-day -day basis. And that that's what my, my uh, that's how I'm going to earn my equity in the deal. Five to 10% may not seem like a lot. And a lot of newer investors get caught up on this and think, well, you know, I went and found the deal. I should get 50%. If you're putting up 100% of the capital and your balance sheet is what's securing the debt, you're not going to, you shouldn't take anything less 
than 80 to 90%. I would do that today. I mean, if I had an investor come to me and say, hey, Tyler, I'm going to put up $5 million on this property and I'm going to sign on the debt. I want you to do everything. I would gladly take 10%. Gladly. I would do that deal all day. That's infinitely scalable. The biggest thing is building your track record of successful deals and getting the experience working on that type of project. Because once you've done that first deal, then other investors will see, okay, they've actually done their first deal. They pulled it off. It was successful. My capital is at less of a risk going into this deal than it was before. So I think that that is hands down the best way to approach it. I mean, if you if you wanted to just do it on your own, you didn't want to bring an investor to the table, you would have to get really creative um, with how you structure the deal. Um, it's certainly possible. I mean, I've done videos on on how to invest in commercial real estate with no money, but it is very difficult. Like it is, it, it is. There is a reason that people still, you know, even the most sophisticated investors in the world still bring money to the table when they buy properties. One because you know most sellers want to cash out; they want to walk away. Um, but two, if you're going to be negotiating some sort of creative financing or a JV with a seller, you're now getting into bed with somebody that you don't know very well. You've got to spend a lot of time getting to know them. And there is nothing worse than getting into a deal with somebody that you know you haven't seen under stress before or you have no idea how they actually want to approach the deal. But people change. As soon as something happens, something gets stressful, something you know, doesn't go the exact way they thought it was going to go, people change. I've seen it firsthand multiple times with people that I have known for years. And, you know, people will get greedy and they'll do everything they can to just tank a deal for no reason. It, uh, it makes absolutely no sense, but it's all the emotional side of somebody's brain. So you could, you could negotiate, you know, seller financing, right? You would have to go out and find a piece of property that has zero debt on it in order to get a 100% seller finance loan. But you're also gonna have to prove to that seller that you have the wherewithal to make those monthly payments, to increase the value of the property in order to cover them if you have to. Um, you know, I mean, in order to justify the seller taking on the risk of a zero down payment loan, because most sellers are willing to finance a deal with five, 10, 15% down, right? Better than most terms you could get from a bank. Because they know if you default on the loan, they can foreclose, take the property back, they've got your down payment, they've got any additional payments that you've made, and they'll make a profit and they still get the property, they can move on. But when they sell or finance 100%, they're going to have expenses, like paying for the loan docs, that they're not going to have covered for a certain period of time. So they have to be confident that you're going to make at least 12 to 24 payments probably for it to make any sense. So I think finding a partner is hands down the best approach to take. It's what I did. It's what I still do to this day. I mean, I'm looking at, you know, when I was looking at buying car washes earlier this year, I was talking to individuals that had all bought and invested in car washes before because I was going to bring them in with me. I don't want to learn this on, on the go. I want to make money, not lose money. So I'm going to bring in the expert. I'm more than willing to give them, you know, 50% plus of the deal. Uh, depending on what it looks like, in order to get that experience. Because then I can do the next one by myself. Or, you know, we can do all of these together. And I don't ever have to worry about learning how to run a car wash. So there's a lot of value in having partners 
make sure that they are the right partners. That's the biggest thing. Sky Animal is saying you were the man. Thank you for taking the time to teach us. Absolutely, Sky Animal, happy to do it. I mean, I, I've really enjoyed doing this. It's it's a lot of fun that you guys have, um, you know, I really appreciate that you all um, have have become such an audience and, and granted me the opportunity to do this. You know, it's been, gosh, almost four years since I started the YouTube channel. I can't believe it's been that long because, uh, you know, it was April of 2020. I was looking back on it not too long ago and thinking just kind of how far it's come. You know, I started it just because I didn't have resources when I was getting started in commercial real estate back in 2013. And it's it's nice to just get to teach people how to do this. I really enjoy it. So it's a lot of fun. And I love interacting with you all. The live streams are great because you all can jump in and we can actually have conversations. Usually I'm just recording videos in this dark studio by myself and then launching them out into the world. The, the fun thing about uh, the live streams is that we can actually, you know, have a conversation here. So this is great. Sandra Singh, what's the best way to get sellers, investors, landlords to trust you with a deal compared to other agents, especially if you're younger, have three to four years of experience under your belt? So Sandra, I'm assuming that you're a commercial real estate broker that is wanting to land a listing, right? Um, or maybe, you know, just land a client. I mean, look, as a newer agent, you are definitely at a disadvantage compared to the bigger, more experienced shops. But the one thing that those shops don't have that you do is you need the deal more. You are willing to put more work in. This is the only thing that you're going to be focused on. I mean, I tell, I tell people this all the time, like don't discount the newer brokers. Sure, they may not have as much experience, so you're probably going to have to work on the deal a little bit more, but they're hungry. They don't have a list of investors and all of these listings and properties and all of the stuff that they have to work on you'll get 100% probably of their attention on your one deal. So that means that they're probably going to go out and knock on more doors. They're going to make more cold calls. They're going to do more of the active side of the work than any other type of broker will. So I think that you just really lean into that and you just say, look, we are going to, we're going to put more work into this than anybody else possibly can. Dukes saying, Tyler, you're the best. Dukes, you're the best. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, Elijah, thank you. Sounds like a lot of options out there. Just found your channel. Yeah, absolutely, Elijah. There's there's a ton of options out there, right? I mean, that that's the beauty of this industry is that y deals happen depending on how creative you can get, especially going into this next year with where you know interest rates and everything is are. So I think uh, just get creative with it. Just put the work in. It's gonna it's gonna be a lot of work. Not gonna lie. I'm not gonna sugarcoat how much it's gonna take you to go out there and buy commercial real estate with no money, but it can be done. I have done it before. Uh, it is it is worth it. It's just, it's a lot of work. Hart, jumping in, just in time to say what's up. What's going on, Hart? Yeah, no, we're, we're a little bit past our 30 minutes here, but I'm going to make sure that I get to the, these last uh, two, last question here. Um, since it is our last one of the year, of course, I'm going to be generous. <laughs> Joe, sat in front of you during Hamza's event. Forget to ask, how can I send you industrial vacant land deals? Well, Joe, hope you enjoyed the event. Loved being there. Uh, Hamza put on a wonderful event out in Austin called Flex Space Connect. I I'm going to be honest with you. One of the better networking events I've ever done. Um, hands down, it was great getting to meet everybody there. Um, so you guys should definitely keep an eye out for it next year. Uh, hopefully I'll be there speaking again. Um, so if you want to send me... Any land deals, uh, vacant land deals, industrial land deals, anything in East Nashville, 
I will look at deals across the country, depending on how the deal is structured. Most of the time, what I end up doing is I come into the general partnership or into the investment as an advisor, uh, because a lot of the uh, my coaching clients and people that I work with, they don't have experience in commercial real estate or they don't have the balance sheets necessary to secure the loan. So I come in as the commercial real estate experienced person uh, that makes the bank feel a lot better about what's going on. Um, so I will come in and partner with you, JV with you on your deals. But if you want to send those to me, um, especially if they're, of course, obviously, if there's just ones that you want to sell, uh, shoot them over to office at thecobblegroup.com. Um, I believe that email address is also in the, dis- uh, the description of the YouTube video below and, and certainly in the podcast as well. So feel free to reach out uh, there and we can, we can take from there. Let's see, Dust Group, no projects under the belt, seeking funds for new four-unit builds of four two-bedroom baths, two baths, I guess. Um, site can have two buildings, who to ask? Partner, question mark? <laughs> Winky face. Um, I would probably not be the partner for a multifamily deal. I don't know how much value I'd really bring to the table. I mean, I, I, I'm always willing to look at these deals. Uh, I'm just, I'm, you know, always upfront with you all. I know enough about multifamily to be dangerous, but I by no means remotely uh, past intermediate level um, investor on that side of things. Um, I would reach out to some local multifamily investors in your area and just see who'd be willing to partner with you on that. I think that there are a lot of people out there that are looking for deals right now and that are willing to get creative on it. So if you have a really good deal, Reach out to your local real estate investors association. Call some friends. If you know any doctors, call them. Uh, especially today, it's December fifth, which means that you've only got a few more weeks before you can take advantage of some tax write-offs and appreciation before the end of the year. So, there you have it for this week's office hours. I will see you all for the next office hours in the new year. Stay tuned for when that will be. It's probably going to be sometime in mid-January. Appreciate you all. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and I'll see y'all in the new year. This episode of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by CRE Launch Pro. This online commercial real estate program is designed to take you from beginner to pro commercial real estate investor with access to all of my courses, our online community, and monthly group coaching calls. Learn how to confidently buy your first commercial property today at www.crelaunchpro.com.